0: Well, I thought the strangeness of this hour would be that it was 1 a.m., but I now realize the Lord, in his own humor, had the strangeness of this hour be preaching after a revival has broken out. It's a strange situation to find yourself in. And yet, uh, I am encouraged that the, Lord, the Spirit of the Lord seems to be moving because just as Susanna uh, wanted to talk to us about a crossroad, or uh, a fork in the road, I come here tonight with a word from God for us about what I want to call a crossroads moment. Crossroads moment. So let's keep leaning in to what the Spirit's doing here tonight as we look at this text of God's covenant with David. Now, most of us at some point have found ourselves with some such crossroads moment. I've had the joy this spring, uh, the privilege of attempting to pilot a college ministry here at Resurrection. Do I have any college students still hang out? Yeah, well, it's mostly college students. Probably shouldn't surprise any of us. It's great to be with you guys, and as, I, as I've been hanging out with college students all spring, I think it's easy for us to forget who have uh, left college far behind that almost all of college is this ticking crossroads moment, is it not? Almost all of college is this intersection of all of these competing needs and questions and desires, and the whole time you just have this clock ticking towards graduation day, this clock ticking towards when you need to make a fateful decision that launches you out into your life. You college students are staring at a crossroads moment. For others of us, a crossroads moment has come later in life. Uh, Jen and I have some dear friends right now who are in their mid-50s and uh, one of our friends has been working as a doctor at a hospital for about 25 years and they as a couple are just starting to see their kids leaving the house. This friend of ours who's a doctor is burned out, he's tired and they're both starting to ask these questions, these big, questions of life, as all these competing needs, all these competing desires, all these longings that haven't been fulfilled are coming in, and they're just trying to figure out, God, is there something new? Is there a new step that needs to be taken? Is there a new movement we need to follow? I think as we look at First Chronicles 17, this glorious passage that you have perhaps heard before, this passage where God promises an eternal kingship to David's descendants, I think David was actually Himself staring at a crossroads moment as he brought this request to God. Crossroads moment. If you trace the story of David in 1 Chronicles, you find that just a few chapters before in 1 Chronicles 14, David was facing a crisis of invading threat from the Philistines. So David's having to juggle all of these political and military questions as he's trying to discern how to attack, how to respond, how to protect the borders of Israel. Back in 1 Chronicles 13, David, with all of Israel, sought the counsel of the Lord if he should move the Ark of the Covenant, hears that it's time to move the Ark of the Covenant closer to his new capital in Jerusalem, and yet when Uzzah reaches out his hand and touches the Ark and is struck dead, David is yet again thrown into a leadership crisis, a spiritual crisis this time, where he has to figure out what the next move is. And so as David navigates that in 1 Chronicles 15, They take a few more precautions. The Levites are more focused. They bring the ark into Jerusalem. I think David was holding the immense pressure, the immense weight, the immense challenges that came with being king. And he was looking out into the future, staring at this crossroads, wondering what his next step needed to be. David is staring at a crossroad moment. And yet, uh, if there's one other factor to throw into David's story at this point— First Chronicles 14 just has a couple throwaway verses that mention David's children, his offspring. In fact, 1 Chronicles 14 names 13 children David has in Jerusalem. Now, I know Rez has some big families, but 13 children in and of itself is a lot to handle. And so I wonder, as David is coming to this crossroads moment, as he's staring out into the future, if he isn't in the back of his mind even holding this question of his children, wondering what's going to happen to his legacy? What's going to happen to his descendants? What's going to happen to his line? So as David is staring at this crossroads moment, I think this text tonight gives us two questions that really form a wonderful follow-up to, just, to what just happened here at the altar that I want to unpack with you that really spring from how God responds to David's offer to build God a temple. The first question that I think God asked David at the crossroads is this, whose house are you building? Whose house are you building? If you look back at First Chronicles 17, verse 1, it says, now when David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. Nathan said to David, do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. Something really interesting that happens here. In David's offer to build a house for God, David begins with the house he's built for himself. (laughs) You notice that? David's living in his house, and he wonders, is it possible that the Lord might want a house? You can almost picture this scene. I like to think David was sitting on his porch, nice wraparound porch, staring out into his kingdom, looking at the beauty of his house, staring at this crossroads moment, and he thinks to himself, I've got a house. I bet God would like one of these too. It's interesting as we sit with this principle that David begins by offering to God what he, David, already has. I I can't help but wonder if some of us struggle with this in our own life when it comes to love languages, where you can't help but assume the person you're dealing with is going to want the love language that you yourself have, right? So if you yourself are a person who loves quality time, I'm sure all this person really needs is just some more quality time with me, right? Or if you're someone who loves words of encouragement and you're in a fight, the friend, a spouse, you don't just sometimes feel tempted to think to yourself, maybe if I just offer a word of encouragement, maybe that will really take care of the problems that are at hand. Or another way this plays out in our lives is sometimes with Christmas presents. I can't help every Christmas, inevitably one or two slip in, that I offer something to my wife, Jenna, that I myself would kind of like to have, right? Here's a, here's a really nice travel mug, love. This is really going to be nice for you, isn't it? Yeah, it would be really nice to have a nice travel mug. Or here's a really nice pair of slippers. Isn't it nice to have a nice pair of slippers? We had uh, uh, some friends who uh, were nearing engagement, and the woman sent very clear instructions on the ring that she wanted. In fact, it wasn't just instructions, it was a picture of the ring that she wanted with the location of where to get this ring, the price of the ring, and a very clear sign, this is the ring, I want this ring. So lo and behold, the evening of engagement, it just so happens that uh, the man came forward with his ring, the ring he chose for her. As I'm sure you could guess, instead of joy, there was some tears that happened on engagement night as this friend of ours wrestled with the broken reality of her fiancé offering to her the ring that he himself had chosen. But even as I reflect on that situation with friends. I can't help but think if this isn't often true for us as we go to approach God. If we don't, like David, begin with that thing, that house we already have and assume that God is going to want to be building that same house as well. But if we dive deeper into this passage, I think it, it gets even sadder in this question, whose house are you building? If you look at verse 10b, the Lord in his response to David says, Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house when your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. I think the sad thing here for David, if you really sit with how he's approached this crossroads moment, is that David had actually been building the wrong house this whole time. David had started with his own house of cedar, this fancy house, this elaborate house. He assumed that God would want a house just like his house, and the Lord's response to him says, you've actually been focused on the wrong house. It's the house of your children. It's your dynasty. It's your sons. And their rule on the throne, that's the house I want to build for you. Is it possible tonight, as you yourself are staring perhaps at a crossroads moment, that the Lord wants to ask you, whose house are you building? Is it possible you've been building the wrong house? The the second question I think the Lord asked David at the crossroads, following up whose house are you building, is whose building the house. Who's building the house? Uh, Last year, I had the inevitable struggle that uh, many homeowners face when uh, my wife and I went to pull back leaves and realized we just had a plot of dirt in our backyard. So we set out on this inevitable journey of attempting to plant grass in our backyard, which for any of you who have tried it is a terrible ordeal. Uh, You lay out the seeds, you put some hay down, there's netting, and then you have to go out every morning and every evening, and you have to water the dirt. You water the dirt. And so I, I, as a man in the house, I set myself to this task, and I would go out every morning and every evening, and I'd pull out the hose, turn on the hose, I'd water in the back, I'd come and water in the front, and every morning and every evening, I'd go and check, and inevitably, every morning and every evening, there was still dirt. More and more dirt. I did this for days and days, and sometimes I started watering more. Sometimes I started watering less, and yet it was like every day I'd go out there and there just was dirt. And as I was, as I was sitting with this, reflecting on my own uh, frustration with the dirt outside, started to dawn on me that I actually had no control over this grass growing. I actually had no control over the grass growing. Yes, I had a part to play in the grass growing. I I did need to go outside and water in the morning, water in the evening. And yet as the days went on, it just kept dawning deeper and deeper and deeper. I can't grow this grass. I'm not the one who can make this grass grow. And it was almost like finally, by the time this dawning realization hit, the first few sprouts of grain started to push up through the hay. I think if we go back to David, David had, David had assumed when it came to the house that he intended for the Lord, he assumed that he would be the one building it. David assumed it would be him who was building the house, and yet, you slow down with this passage the Lord offers a really powerful response before he even gets to this promise of an eternal throne. I'm going to read to you verses 7 through 11. This is the Lord responding to David's request to build the Lord a house. The Lord says to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep to be prince over my people, and I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a name, like the names of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people, and will plant them that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall waste them no more, as formerly from the time I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will subdue your enemies. Moreover, I declare that the Lord... Will build you a house. The question God asks to David really is Who's been building your house all along, David? Who's been building your house all along? Who took you from the pastures? Who's been with you in battle? Who's appointed the place for you? Who's subdued all your enemies? Who's really building your house, David? Is it you? Do you think you're the one who really got here, David? You're the one who got that job, that education, those kids, that car, that house, that salary, this church. Do you really think you're the one who's met those needs, heard those prayers, healed those illnesses? If Our first question at the crossroad is, whose house are you building? Our second question cuts deeper still. Who's building the house all those anxieties David's been carrying up to this crossroad, to this fork in the road moment of obedience, all those questions David's been trying to answer, all those sleepless nights when he was wondering if he was doing enough to establish his kingdom. And the Lord wants to tell him, I am the one who has been building this house all along. I'm the one who will continue to build it. I love that the Apostle Paul, I think, Picks up on this imagery of the house when in Ephesians 2:19 to 22 he says, "Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers." but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises up to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. The reality, my friends, is that just as God wanted to tell David that he was building his house Jesus wants to tell you that he's still been building his house to this day. He's still at work building his house. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. You, my friend, whatever crossroad you find yourself at, will not be building your house. You won't. Just like I could not grow that grass in my backyard you're not going to be the one to build your house. But Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone upon whose foundation your house is being built, Jesus is going to continue building you up together with his saints in the household of God. So in closing, in closing, I want to sit with these two questions for you for just a moment. And I think especially in light of whatever the Lord has been stirring for you, particularly if you came forward tonight. I'd love for these two questions to be a follow-up to the call to obedience. First, whose house are you building? Now I know for some of you, you have spent years building those houses that you've been working on. Whatever those houses are, your accomplishments, your work, your status, your kids, your energy, your fears, is it possible you've been investing in the wrong house or houses? Would you be able to hear tonight if God had a different house? Maybe even one that's been there all along that is the true house? A generational house? A house that's going to outlive you and outlast you? A house for your children and for their children? Is it possible that God is calling you to stop building A few of those houses that you've been working pretty hard on, so that you can focus your attention on a house that he wants you to build. Second, for some of us, even as we're clarifying whose house it is we're building, we're desperately in need tonight of hearing God ask, who's building your house? Yes, you've planted the seeds, Yes, there is work to be done, but who is it that's really been building the house all along? Who will sustain it? Who will keep it? Who will protect it? It is the Lord who promises David, I will build you a house, and it is Christ who promises us, on my foundation you will not fall. I will build my church. I will build my kingdom. I will sustain your faith. So for some of us tonight, as we've been working really hard to try to build God's house in ourselves, in our world, God is speaking to you tonight, reminding you that it was always Christ who would be building the house, always. To that end, I'd love to invite you to continue whatever the invitation God has been placing on your heart tonight as we move into worship, into these two questions. Which house are you building, and who's building the house? In the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.